In this week's episode, I'm sick. But not even illness could hold back a big week of comics, including two DC books we are very excited about. It's all happening now on Cover B. Welcome back to Cover B. Welcome back to Cover B. We are mostly alive. Sort of. It's been a rough week. <laughs> lots of lots of illness. Yeah, you could hear it. Do you passing hear it? around the Cover B camp, but we are here barely, and we are going to talk to you about comics. It was a big week for comics, so yeah, we have a lot to talk about. So we're going to dive right in That's first up right. from aftershock comics we've got astronaut down number one this was written by james patrick with art by rubian love your sandwiches um <laughs> that's a terrible joke i'm so sorry that's why nobody ever listens to this podcast. <laughs> anyway uh this book is for all intents and purposes your usual like the world is ending and we're building a team of astronauts type book. Very Armageddon, just with less sweaty Bruce Willis. Uh, and Steve Buscemi. I was about to say, and no Steve Buscemi. What could a use, bummer. Could use more Steve Buscemi, but that's true with everything. That's true. So uh, we are following a one of the individuals who's up for this program of becoming an astronaut, i.e. going into space, you assume, uh, what we're met with is a world that is overrun by some sort of quantum disturbance. It takes the shape of like a flood, but when people interact with it, their whole molecular everything kind of breaks down. Um, reality itself shifts. Uh, and the astronauts are, for whatever reason, going on a, or however, whatever the end goal is, we don't really know yet. Uh, but they are going on this mission in order to solve the problem using some sort of frequency. Don't really know what the frequency is yet either. Uh, what we find is a world in disarray, a world surrounded by panic and misinformation, uh, political leaders and religious leaders leading people away from actual things that could help. Does this sound familiar? Cough, cough, cough. Oh, no. I would actually cough, but then I would oh, no. start coughing. Oh, no, she's coughing. <laughs> Vaccines are important. Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> what I'm getting at is it's relatable. It is. Uh, it and is. then it, toward the end of the book, we find out that the whole astronaut program isn't going to space. It's something incredibly different and really twisty and windy. Uh, and very interesting. It's a cool book. It's relatable, but it's got a lot of really like kind of dark, weird fiction notes to it that make it fresh and interesting uh, as we experience life inside what's known as barrier cities, uh, which are cities that have built up some sort of glass or protective barrier to keep this quantum issue out. Uh, but the barriers are failing. So the timer is on for this mission. T, what do you think? I thought this one was really, really cool. One of the things that I think stood out to me about this book is that you're given a glimpse as to what's happening well early on, but you have no idea or any context for it until the last page. And I thought that was really well done. Um, I also like that this is more sci-fi than just astronauts and just going into space. Um 
it it did feel very much like an Armageddon style movie, but then all of a sudden it broke into like a weird, like Christopher Nolan mm-hmm. movie, and you're like, wait, that took a shift. Yeah, <laughs> I was not prepared. It's it's familiar and unique in its own way. It's it's yeah. it's cool. It's the characters are fun and seem interesting. Don't get attached. Uh, the story, like I said, it feels familiar. This whole idea of, you know, Earth is quickly hurtling towards a, some sort of apocalyptic end scenario and a group of science-based heroes need to go save it. But the twist that they took on it and making it, building around this idea of, like, quantum things and, you know, quantum disturbances and stuff like that uh, is just unique. It's really cool. I think it's cool, too, in that... You know, they've kind of given us a bunch of the twisties and turnies already in issue one to really hook you. Mm-hmm. But there's something about our main character that makes him special, and we don't know why. And I yeah. think that's what's really holding me on to the next issue is mm-hmm. that I already think the concept's really cool. But now I'm like, how come you can? Yeah. And no one else can. Super nifty book. Really worth checking Very out. Very cool. Uh, moving on, coming out of Action Lab, we have a book called The Ballad of Ronan, number one. This was written by the Walsh Brothers. Uh, their real names are Walsh Brother A and Walsh Brother B. I forgot to write them down. Um, <laughs> with art by Remy Jackson. This book, uh, it's funny because last week we talked about a book called Triskel where we were... Uh, or Triskelly. I don't know if the last E is pronounced or not. So it's Triskel. <laughs> Deal with it. Um, really antagonistic today. I don't it's know our podcast. We'll do it how we want to do it. Yeah. So we were talking about Triskelly. Uh, no, I'm not going to. Triskel. Uh, and we were talking about one of the parts of that that we liked is that it was very Arthurian, but it was approaching things with more like Welsh mythology. And we were talking about how it's cool to see these kind of like magical high fantasy things represented from a non Anglo-Saxon kind of perspective, Mm -hmm. which is what we usually get. We usually get like the very like core British look at like how fairies and that kind of stuff works. This takes it in a similar route uh, and is focused on more Celtic mythology. Uh, So what we get in the beginning is we get a mother, uh, unfortunately passing during childbirth and the father worried about the health of his baby uh, promising the baby to the fae folk so they come in and they swap them out i think these are called changelings isn't that what changelings are but changelings are usually negative right yeah isn't changeling like a fairy slips in and swaps your baby without you knowing yeah this is like the whatever the positive version of that is <laughs> where you're like gifted a trade up you know <laughs> So they take the baby to raise as their own and leave a fairy baby with the dad. And that's the last we see of that as we flash forward to the future where a young woman is turning 16. Uh, She lives in an orphanage, has never been adopted, has built up a callus against the world because of never being adopted and seeing all her friends get adopted out. She is a wrong side of the tracks kind of rebel. Steals money from the lady that runs the orphanage. Talks dirty to a nun. You know, all the fun Saturday activities kids get up to these days. She's a good old-fashioned dairy girl, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
And uh, she is off on a journey to find uh, her birth mother, who her, who the priest running the orphanage had found an address for. Uh, and she gets roped into some potentially magical fantasy things along the way. T, thoughts? I thought this was really cool. I really liked the art. I liked the initial setup. I'm excited to see how the modern story ties into the original story. I think the only thing that's kind of weird for me is that the book stops and ends this first issue so abruptly It's that my assumption had to be that this was written initially yeah. as a a paper like a like yeah. a, a full graphic novel and then broken up into yeah. pieces so based on is, like obligatory pages. Yeah, this counts. is a concept that we've mentioned on <clears throat> the podcast many many times. Yeah, um, I know we've had plans to do a full episode for it. Have, did we ever do the full episode so. about where we talked about this? Anyway, uh, we were gonna do a key issues about it. Maybe we still will. But this idea of certain books are written for the issue and certain books are written for the graphic novel. Yeah. And you can really get that vibe off of this one. Yeah. Sometimes it's a little bit ambiguous. Like some of the aftershocks really bad about this. Their stuff is like the first issue is intriguing and enthralling, but doesn't leave with like a hook. Yeah. And then you read the solicitation for the next issue and it's like, in the next issue, Veronica deals with the mind-controlling raccoon living in her attic. And you're like, what? Who? What? This Where did this come from? <laughs> um, and so you can see that these things are made as like a f- point A to point B and they're not like partitioned off. It's like when you're watching a show and the commercial break comes like in the middle yeah. of someone's dialogue <laughs> and you're like, okay. And you're like, oh, clearly they didn't edit this. Or you're like watching it, but in the inverse, you're watching a show on like Netflix and there's that, like, they finish a line of dialogue and, like, a little piano tune plays as the camera, like, kind of pans away. And then it immediately plays again and pans back and they pick up where they left off. My favorite example <laughs> of this is commercial break longevities. Like, the space between commercial breaks has changed over the years, obviously, to shove in more commercials mm-hmm. because advertising. And in Christmas specials, like the ones that were made in the 60s, 70s, and 80s that you see a lot, like the Charlie Browns and the Grinch, the Grinch especially, there's like a very iconic commercial break instance where the music swells and there's strings and he's like looking down over a cliff and it's like clearly where there's supposed to be a commercial break. And back in the day, that's where the commercial would break to. But now they break like five minutes before that scene and that scene just passes (laughs) and you're just like... Oh, I, I can't go to the bathroom. You're not you're not yeah. done. You're oh, good. Oh, my We're bad. going. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, gotcha. Anyway, some books are written <laughs> without proper breaks. So the end of an issue will just kind of happen. And this one feels that way. I didn't do a lot of digging. Um, I mean, obviously a lot of stuff that ends up on smaller publishers like Action Lab and SourcePoint and, and not so much SourcePoint because I think SourcePoint does a lot of their stuff in-house, but Action Lab and uh you know, uh, Black Mask, for instance, like a lot of these things are kickstarted. And so it's very possible that this is already exist in some form or fashion, either as an online book or as a graphic novel. I didn't do a lot of digging on it, uh, but you can definitely tell that there wasn't like a real issue drop point at this point. Some stuff kind of just happens and then it's like, end. Um, but it was good. It was really, really cool. I like the celtic vibe 
I like how Irish it is. <laughs> um, and the art is adorable. It's that kind of it's cartoony without like being too over the top kind of yeah. art. You know what I mean? Like people have very cartoonish proportions, but then other people are mostly normal. Yeah. Uh, people have kind of cute kawaii faces and stuff. <laughs> uh, it's cool. I, li- I really like this book. I'm excited to see where it goes from here. I uh, just was it was a little abrupt on the end. Yeah. You know, it was it was sudden. It that's one thing that I want to give praise to publishers like Black Mask. You know, they do tend to work with their creative teams. Like we had Pat Shandon and he mm-hmm. talked about Destiny New York and he was like, I'm not using obligatory page limits. My books end when they end and you're going to yeah. deal with it. And they were like, cool. Sounds good. <laughs> So, like, the fourth issue is, like, three times as long as every other issue. Yeah. But it it makes more sense from a publishing, from a reading standpoint. So yeah. props to the publishers that let the let the creative team guide where it should be paused. <laughs> and I just like, I like seeing more fantasy stuff coming out of the, the English lands. Yeah, agreed. That isn't your typical, like, Anglo high fantasy, like, Arthur's in shiny shimmery armor doing stuff you know what i mean yeah it's it's cool it's like the green knight movie really good still very anglo but like takes liberties with it and makes it like a little bit different has some body horror moments and stuff it's cool it's good good stuff give me more (laughs) uh next up we have two books coming out of dc which is nice leave it it's nice to see dc again hi dc how you been a hot minute how's it going oh you're constantly shifting and changing and gave up on that 5g thing like a long time ago okay cool <laughs> good to see you anyway i was just excited that there were books coming out that weren't bat related <laughs> yeah i know right jesus i mean technically one of them is but, but like kind of like removed like a cousin <laughs> anyway uh first up is aquaman andromeda this is one of their black label magazine size badass books uh, this is, for all intents and purposes, like an eldritch underwater story featuring Aquaman as kind of a set piece, which yeah. I really liked. Uh, what we are truly following is a team of people that are in a prototype submarine that are exploring some sort of alien object that fell into Point Nemo. Weirdly enough, this was the second book this week that mentioned Point Nemo. Um, I just learned about Point Nemo because of this week, (laughs) weirdly enough. Uh, for those who don't know, Point Nemo is the place where starships go to die. Uh, it's where like space trash lands because it's the furthest point in the Pacific from any landmass. Yeah. So it's where we dump space trash. Uh, There's also not like a whole lot of living. Yeah. It's also like a really salinated, like pressure heavy gross part of the ocean yeah so there's not like a lot of living there's not like a coral reef or something there yeah uh anyway point emo cool now you know the more you know and the star flies across your face (laughs) uh what was i saying uh there's an alien object (laughs) fell into point nemo and this prototype submarine and her crew are down to explore it uh there's a lot uh we find out through the book that there's a lot of government shadiness happening their escort ship it's a military ship disguised as a cargo ship they're not really supposed to be there no one knows that they're there so it's shady anyway we're following them uh as they 
engage in this mission and ocean things happen around them. And Arthur Curry, Aquaman, is there, uh, but he's kind of a he's a set piece. Yeah. Right. Like he's he's something that's happening and we're watching them watch it happen, which I really like that Mm -hmm. version of storytelling. And I'll get into that. Put a pen in that. But uh, eventually there's giant sea monsters and this alien object seems to be more than they bargained for. Black Manta's also going to be involved at some point in time, which is cool. Uh, He's been hired by somebody to do some shady information stealing uh, piracy kind of stuff. It's great. This was written by Ram V with art by Christian Ward. Christian Ward's art and use of colors fits this like dark, bleak, ultra deep, ultra pressure ocean scenario incredibly well. Uh, And it's just it's a very neat, pretty, dark, spooky, especially if you're afraid of the ocean like me kind of book. Uh, And I highly recommend it. T, what did you think? I think one of the things that stands out to me about this book is that it does that thing that DC sometimes lets writers do where they go, hey, you're focusing on one specific hero. Let's pretend that none of the other heroes exist. Mm -hmm. Let's pretend this is a world sans the soups and the bat. Yeah. And all this other nonsense that takes so much mystique and interest and wonder out of the world. And this book, once again, kind of washes the world away of all of the stuff that you know about the DC universe. Washes, nice. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And goes back instead into, hey, the oceans are a mystery. And the skies are a mystery. And we are mere humble humies Mm -hmm. living our life scared as dickens of everything around us just like we are in real life yeah and i find that so much more interesting (laughs) i agree it's it's nice when you can isolate these heroes from like the bigger spectrum and just kind of like use them as a piece of a story because now they're going to like we're investigating something that's extraterrestrial and in this world, without a Superman and a Martian Manhunter and all this other nonsense, yeah. something extraterrestrial is scary again. Also, they're able to <laughs> get a secret submarine down there, and there's not already like a bat sub chilling down right? there. Exactly. Investigating like, everything. It, it allows you to actually do stuff yeah. in this world and like br- build some sort of mystique and allure and mystery. Without it being like, oh, yeah, <laughs> Superman did the thing and he saw the stuff and then it's over. Mm. Like, let let there be things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. I uh, My one complaint about this is that it did, they utilized a trope that I'm not a fan of. Uh, and that is, we have a super person and we want to make a more realistic version of them. But we don't want to get rid of their costume. So let's make their costume some sort of weird real world version of the like in this one. He's basically wearing his Aquaman like the gold and green. Yeah. But it's because he's like covered in like barnacles and coral and stuff. <laughs> that just happened to me. I, I don't like I, I think that's silly. <laughs> just have him be a naked dude swimming through the water. That's fine. You know, or have him like. If you don't want to establish the entirety of like Atlantean culture and that's how he got his thing, have him just like have a wetsuit that he wears 
yeah. to keep his bits in. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. I, I The whole, like, this person's... I They do it with Doctor Doom all the time, right? Like, yeah. we want Doctor Doom to be a big metal man with a freaky mask, so let's just make him metal. And it's, it's, it's dumb. It's silly. It's silly. It's I don't... Silly. I'm not a fan of that trope. It's not a big deal in this book, like whatever, and it's a cool design. Like it is, cool. and again, Christian Ward's art and use of color is amazing. It's beautiful, um, but. but it's just silly. <laughs> it's silly to be like, oh look, he's covered in coral and anemones and stuff, and <laughs> so he looks like look, it's like his outfit, but it's not. And it's like, yeah, whatever. Anyway, uh, <laughs> to my. More important point, uh, the use of super people and big personalities as a set piece instead of uh, the Focal main piece. character yeah. is a really cool way of telling stories. I agree. Now, it can be bad. Look at Transformers movies because they tried to do both. They tried to have their cake and eat Shia LaBeouf too or something. I don't know what I was getting at. <laughs> no, wait, Shia LaBeouf eats you. He's the cannibal. No, no, no. That's that's Mega Fox. Oh yeah. <laughs> Man, we're just we're bouncing the topical humor here today, folks. Um, buckle up. We'll sell you the whole seat, but you're only gonna need the edge. Um, <laughs> War monsters. <laughs> But yeah, uh, so you can, it can be done poorly. And that's not necessarily, I like a lot of the Transformers movies. I haven't seen all of them, but I like a lot of parts of the Transformers movies. Yeah. Um, namely the Transformers. Uh, because I think if you're gonna have them be like a personality, but also have somebody who's kind of like in their shadow, it can just get a little muddled. Yeah. If you're going to have them be a personality and also have other characters, they need to be kind of equal. You can see that done properly in the Sonic movies that just happened. Yeah. Where it's Sonic and then the family that he found. And they're like equals. They're not like in his shadow. Now, if they wanted to make Sonic like really intense, like in the video games and have him out doing really intense things, it would be cool to tell the story from the family's perspective and have him just be this kind of thing out there. Right. That's cool story. I, that's what we're talking about here. And that's what we have here. We have Arthur Curry, Aquaman, not really having his own narration. No narration exists from his head. It exists from people around him. Uh, and then he's seen attacking this giant sea monster and they react to him, but he's not actively in the team. And he might later on come into the team, but I like the idea of us still not having omniscience enough to be in his head. Yeah. He's his own. I've always argued this for when they, if they want to make a good doom movie, that's how you do it. You have doom guy and you get to please all the doom guy fans, but doom guy is not a good main character because he has zero personality. So you create a team of people and they're going to be trying to escape from the, whatever facility hell is popping up in and Doom Guy's gonna be exist, and they're having to survive him as much as they're having to survive everything else. It's true. You know that's, what I mean? That's the two problems we've had: is that you tried to make Doom Guy into something he's not, and everyone hated it. And then you tried to make a Doom movie where they didn't have Doom Guy at all, 
and everyone hated it. Yeah. So it's like Doom Guy could be there, but you need to just let him be a giant monster killing robot. Exactly. <laughs> and let it let everyone just else have him a be story. a set piece and set the story in that world and have him exist. And I think that's really cool. Like there's definitely room, obviously. We have decades of it there's room for stories about super people where they're the main focus and yeah, they're the course. ones whose heads we're in of course but i love it when we take a step out and we're from an observer standpoint it's Absolutely. like marvels like the marvel series is very much about like the people on the streets observing superheroes oh yeah and experiencing them well and they did that subset for marvel too where they would like pick a hero and then they would focus on a subsidiary person yeah in a story around them the marvel snapshot yes yeah, those yeah. were fantastic you guys know i talked about those a lot because they were really cool and they gave a really cool perspective on the scenario so I really like this story because of that. And I think especially in like DC has done some really cool black label stories. Yes. I've liked most of them minus Superman year one. But that's a whole different bag of worms that I'm not going to get into. Um, Marvel has or DC has done really cool black label things. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we have enough where the people we're following are kind of caught in the wake pun intended, of the super people. Another one that I really, really liked that we talked about on the show was Suicide Squad Blaze. Yeah. Same kind of thing. Yes, the people in it are super, and our main focal character is super technically, but his the main story there is him being caught in the wake of these like professional super people. Yeah. Professional Task Force X members. Um, and, you know, we never get an inner monologue from Harley Quinn. We never nope. get a peacemaker inner monologue. Nope. We never get a King Shark inner monologue. It's always just him caught in the wake of these people. Uh, and I like that. I think that's cool superhero storytelling. I think that's unique. It's not done enough yet where it's become old hat. So it still has a lot of room for like interesting storytelling. And it gives you the ability to do kind of drastic things with the hero because we don't, since we don't have an inner monologue, people aren't really like relating to that hero. So it's allowed to kind of be its own thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? One of my favorite um, segments of Cy Spurrier's Constantine, one of the issues was focused on a mermaid. And you don't realize that Constantine is the one narrating until literally the last part of the book because the entire focus is about this mermaid and this horrible relationship she had mm -hmm. with a human. And I thought it was the coolest way to tell a story mm -hmm. because the none of the book has any relation to Constantine until like the last two pages. Yeah, yeah. And it's so clever and it's so well like written and it's so much more interesting because now it's like an entirely different story, but yeah. it's still in the world, yeah. you know? And that's cool. I really want a Wonder Woman book done that way cuz I've seen a Superman book one. I don't remember what it was. I think it was during the Future State stuff. One of the books had like a part Yeah, it was a uh, Superman War World Worlds at War something yeah. like that yeah 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 and like it was broken into like two halves and the second half was Superman on War World doing gladiatorial things and then like the first half was a bunch of people like lamenting the loss of Superman yep uh like survivors who survived situations because of Superman were talking about him and stuff uh, and that part was really cool. It's very neat. I just like the idea of characters experiencing super people 
as much as you know the actual stories about the super people yeah. and i think a wonder woman one could be really cool maybe it exists i don't know maybe i just haven't read it but i i just think wonder woman is one of those characters that has a lot of like hope and bravado around her yeah and so having a story told about somebody kind of like caught in caught up in her story uh would be neat there's a lot of potential there and i'd like to see a movie done this way too i i know it would never pass because getting cast in a role as a super person is like cash money so they have to be like the top build but like i think it would be a cool story to have just like the super person kind of doing their thing but the story is mainly focusing on like these other people the people around them i agree i think it would be neat especially you could do it with like really unhinged super people like the hulk and stuff anyway uh cool book really really cool very cool excited for it black label has just been solid it's the best thing dc's done in years hands down is doing these black label titles and just kind of giving people free reign really hope they just continue to let people be crazy with it you know finally coming out of dc we have poison ivy number ones the first issue of a poison ivy miniseries written by g willow wilson with art by marcio takara uh, this book sees Poison Ivy on a road trip across the states. She has recently been reunited with her two selves. For those who don't know, Poison Ivy died in the events of Heroes in Crisis. She was eventually revived uh, by Harley Quinn, uh, technically, but she, uh, like, naked, innocent... I don't remember my life version of herself was birthed out of some sort of pod. She like full Venus to Milo. <laughs> we eventually found, we caught up, we put a pen in that and it existed out in its own thing. And then we caught up with poison Ivy underneath Gotham city. She was in the caverns underneath Gotham city. She had become queen. Ivy was really ruthless, really just cold. Uh, and, really ready to just wreck so much s and <laughs> she had woven her branches all through the cracks and seams and foundations of gotham and was fully ready to just drop gotham entirely eventually a character known as the gardener and harley quinn uh, merged queen ivy with that naked innocent fresh ivy they merged together bringing ivy back to who she was and I think also reducing her powers. Yeah, I think, I think like she, tanking her powers big time. Her powers got ultra tanked. And apparently now she's dying. So she is on a road trip to basically just cause as much destruction across the United States as she can before she crawls into a storage crate and dies. It's fear and loathing in cordyceps. <laughs> it's neat. And it's a really just kind of existential ivy that i don't feel like we've seen t what are your thoughts i first off this book is beautiful and that needs to be very stated pretty a million times the this book work is stunning. the art done on these like grotesque clumps of fungus like these cordyceps mounds yeah. on like decaying cows and decaying people and stuff is it's like grotesquely beautiful it's really well done it's it's stunning and there is not enough not enough praise given for this one because it's beautiful. Um, the other thing about this book is that we have reference to Harley, but 
ultimately, this is Ivy on her own. And it's been a long, long time since we've gotten Ivy mm-hmm. on her own. Um, it's not Ivy's fault. <laughs> Ivy has become an important plot point for Harley because ha- Ivy effectively served as the replacement for Joker for Harley, which Harley is such an important character and a fan favorite. And so DC leans on her a lot. So a lot of the association we've had with Ivy for a long time now has been being the fill-in. Well, and there's been this, like, DC, like, dipping their toes in the, like, LGBTQ water. Right. With these characters. And Ivy's a safe choice for that because Ivy and Harley, not trying to be whatever, but they're both very traditionally hot. Yeah. Like Well, I um, you know, <laughs> I I don't want to I don't want to wave the queer baiting flag, but there's been a lot of like, oh, maybe they're a couple, maybe uh, you know, they were very yeah. aware of the fan shipping yeah. and the writer shipping of these two characters, and I feel like it was like a slow, like we had this like very clear gradient of these two characters from like, oh, they're just close friends, like DC assuring us, like they're just close friends yeah. to now they're fully a couple. Yeah. You know, and we see that in this book. We see that in the Pride covers that have come out recently. We see that in a lot of other books, Batman. Uh, so like they, you know, in addition to Ivy, unfortunately being kind of Harley's replacement Joker and Harley being such a popular character that Ivy's just been kind of lumped in there. I also feel like DC's just an actively trying to like slowly push forward into the like they're officially a couple zone mm-hmm. and hasn't I mean we've seen DC bail on gay weddings and things like that in the past so it's you know <sighs> they have a track record with being afraid to go there when it comes to LGBTQ relationships so now that they're getting a little bit more comfortable with it to the chikarin of Fox News journalists, quote unquote, if you, if that surprises you at all, uh, you know, it, it was this like slow push of like, we're going to keep them connected because we eventually want to get there, but we're not sure when we're going to get there. And then they eventually got there and now they've like ripped them apart and put <sighs> Ivy on her own. <laughs> so it's, it's. I don't know. It's it's lovely to see her having her own story and being able to be like a focal point and mm. actually having like an identity. And I, I love that. I am sad that they it does feel kind of like, hey, they were a couple, not anymore. Huh? <laughs> True. Yeah. Which, uh, I don't know. Maybe Maybe whatever comes out of this, maybe she won't die. Maybe she won't end up in a storage crate dead and mushroomed maybe she'll come back and we've already gotten a glimpse of her realizing that okay my bad i actually do still love you harley sergies you know um so maybe that'll maybe that'll resolve but yeah it's it's a conflicting feeling but i do like the way she's being presented and i do like that they're giving her her own identity again ivy's a really cool character to utilize because there's a well-established tradition of her her connection her plant biology as with many of the other characters in this universe that have plant biology um giving her this remarkable ability of rebirth and change you know 
she can slash and burn entirely and come back as an entirely different ivy. Yeah. It's, you know, the justification of why we've seen very radically different ivies throughout time. Like, yeah. um, and so that's cool. So I like the idea of this being a very existential, very like determined end kind of mini series because it gives a lot of room for exploration of this character and what the character's motivations might be. It gives a lot of room to make like a larger kind of statement on not only the nature of environmental things, but also the nature of comic books. Yeah. It's a very meta comic book in its own way. Like she's very like aware of the nature of the bat people just showing up. She's basically like timing herself off of when the bat people will catch up to her. It's true. And planning off of that. So like, it's very self-aware of how these things tend to go. You know? Yeah. Um, As readers, we can almost see Barbara in the background somewhere like, I know she's been on this highway. I'll be there in a minute. Picking (laughs) up new traces of that fungal spore and like all this stuff. And it's, it's cool. It, uh, I, I, I just think it's a cool tone. Yeah. For Ivy. And I think, uh, G. Willow Wilson really gets the character. I agree. And I think they're going to do a good job with it. So I think one thing that's really neat, too, is that um, they do make mention that Ivy can't feel the green anymore, mm-hmm. which is so much of her identity that I think that in and of itself is part of why this feels so different, because if she can't feel the green anymore, it kind of eliminates her purpose. Yeah. And so that's why she's got this resolution. And I think that's really, really cool that they're kind of like, I don't know. This is a weird way to say this, but like letting Ivy be depressed. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I do kind of hope we get a Swamp Thing appearance. Um I hope that and I I kind of hope the Swamp Thing cuz she mentions, yeah. I think she makes like she an obscure did. mention to him. Uh I hope the Swamp Thing appearance takes a route an unexpected route. Like I hope the expectation is that he's going to show up and stop her. Like, in the name of the green, I'm stopping you and all this nonsense. But I kind of hope he shows up and is just like, dude, it really sucks that you're not connected to the green anymore. Been there. Let's talk about it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you know, there was a whole big part of the recent run of Justice League Dark that was the Council of Trees being replaced by the Council of Flowers. And Swamp Thing was no longer the, like, harbinger of the green and it was like a big deal for his character. So it would be really interesting if, and this is just me constantly wanting like a superhero story that's handled in like a pacifistic way. <laughs> Heroes in Crisis did a really good job of that. Yeah. Uh, but it would be cool if he just showed up and was like, dude, let's chat. Like, let's yeah. talk. Let's go through stories. Maybe I can help you get reconnected and stuff like that. Like, it's, uh, it's interesting because be cool. it just, it, disconnecting her from the green makes her feel more human and so it makes this being like a suicide mission feel more real because she feels more human yeah so i think that's cool it's a cool book it's exciting to see this character kind of on her own and see the character get a lot of like expansion yeah you know beyond just constantly being summed up by other people yeah you know development so, yeah it'll be a <laughs> really cool thrust for the story so Agreed. i'm excited to see it that's gonna do it for us big big week yeah. get out there and enjoy some books dc good job you had to make the cut 
if you want to hear more episodes of Cover B, you can find them on our website, coverbpodcast.com. That's right. If you want to follow us on social media, you can do so on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Cover B Podcast. So thank you so much for listening. Hopefully by next week, we'll both be 100% and we'll be able to put out strong, healthy content for Jiminy you guys. crickets, I hope so. <laughs> I hope everyone has a good weekend. As always, I have been Chris. This has been T, uh, though not at 100%. Uh, and you have been listening to, to Cover, Cover B. B. Bye, everybody. <laughs>